Welcome to the weekly message from Upper Room Community Church in Vaughan. We hope that this message will help you grow in your faith and provide practical ways to strengthen your relationships. For more information, visit us at upperroom.ca. Today's reading is from Numbers 13:26 to 14:9. Report on the exploration. They came back to Moses and Aaron and the whole Israelite community at Gadash in the desert of Paran. There they reported to them and to the whole assembly and showed them the fruit of the land. They gave Moses this account. We went into the land to which you sent us, and it does flow with milk and honey. Here is its fruit. But the people who live there are very powerful, and the cities are fortified and very large. We even saw descendants of Anak there. The Amicalites live in the Negev. The Hittites, Jebusites, and Amorites live in the hill country, and the Canaanites live near the sea and along the Jordan. Then Caleb silenced the people before Moses and said, We should go up and take possession of the land, for we can certainly do it. But the men who had gone with him said, We cannot attack those people. They are stronger than we are. And they spread among the Israelites a bad report about the land they had explored. They said, The land we explore devour those who live inside it. All the people we saw there are of great size. We saw it in a film there, the descendants of Ancom from the Nephilim. We seem like grasshoppers in our own eyes, and we look the same to them. The people rebel. That night, all the members of the community raised their voices and wept aloud. All the Israelites grumbled against Moses and Aaron. The whole assembly said to them, If only we had died in Egypt or in the wilderness. Why is the Lord bringing us to this land only to let us fall by a sword? Our wives and children will be taken to plunder. Wouldn't it be better for us to go back to Egypt? And they said to each other, We should choose a leader and go back to Egypt. Then Moses and Aaron fell face down in front of the whole Israelite assembly, gathered there. Joshua, son of Neb, and Caleb, son of Jehovah, who were among those who had explored the land, tore their clothes. And they said to the whole Israelite assembly, The land we pass through is explored is exceedingly good. If the Lord is pleased with us, he will lead us into the land, a land flowing, flowing of milk and honey, and will give it to us. Only do not rebel against the Lord. And do not be afraid of the people, because we will devour them. Their protection is gone. But the Lord is with us. Do not be afraid of them. This is God's word. Thanks, girls. That was not an easy passage, and now I know how to pronounce all those big words I've been wondering about all week, so fantastic. Morning. There's a lot of kids in this church. This is fantastic. Kids, where you at? Yeah, okay, back row, front row, court side. Nice, nice, very good. Well, welcome. How you guys doing? Good, good. All right, well, we are in part two of a series called... Old school. I was so pumped when I heard the branding for the series. I'm like, this is awesome. This is like my dream. So uh, really excited about this. And then Vijay told me, he's like, and we're going to have all the kids in the service. So it has to be shorter, more engaging, visuals, bring props. I'm like, no pressure, right? And he's like, and then Mark's going to bring it. I'm like, okay. 
Anyway, so uh, I thought, you know, let's have a little game or a little competition to kick things off. And so here's the deal. We're in week two. We got five weeks all together where we're going to be looking back at the Old Testament, looking at characters or entire books and learning how people engage with God, how pe- God engaged with them, and seeing what things can we learn uh, for our life today. And so I thought it'd be fun to kind of have a competition. We'll have different interactions throughout the time. But I thought, let's have a competition between the preachers. Hey, wouldn't that be fun, right? Yeah, yeah, right? Because, I mean, nobody ever, you know, competes as preachers because you're just like, oh, thanks, pastor, and you just, you're polite even if you fell asleep, right? So let's have a little competition. Let's see who's better, but not at preaching because, I mean, I want to win, right? So <laughs> going up against VJ doesn't seem like a great idea. So I'm like, well, it's old school, so let's go with the theme. So I was like, maybe, like, who can make the most pop culture references to things that are old school? Maybe that'd be cool, you know, while you're just preaching. It doesn't seem like you just added it in, but it just flowed. And I was like, no, I'd, I'd destroy that. That'd be an unfair advantage. So then I was like, I was like, maybe, and this is what I landed on, the everyone who's speaking at both churches, because we're kind of doing this series, both churches, I'm going to run off, do it at Connection, and then part two will be next week. Kate, really pumped about that, uh, uh, is that what if the person had to wear something from their old school, okay? However you interpret that, okay, gray hair doesn't count. You have to put it on in the morning, VJ. Yeah, 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 all right. So, so now, VJ did say Mark's going to bring it, so I'm just going to bring it, okay? So, uh, who was alive in 1989? Oh, yeah, okay. Well, for you then, I have my article of clothing, which I'm pretty pumped about, and I think this is going to secure me the gold. But I have these 1989 Reebok pumps. So I'm just going to preach in my pumps. All right, all right. Kids, some of you are like, what are those snowshoes? Like, what are they? <laughs> Ski boots. That's what these are. No, no. These are, and you can actually legitimately pump them up. It's, I know. It's, uh, and then you can let the air out. Who remembers these? Who remembers these? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, so next week, parachute pants, maybe? Who knows? You have no idea what's going to happen, so come. It's going to be great. Can I dance with these on? You, uh, I don't want to show you guys up. It's going to be bad. <laughs> so anyways, uh, we are kicking off uh, Old School. It started last week, and we're continuing this week. And uh, today, I want to tell you a story. Uh, last weekend, I was in New York City. Anyone ever been to New York City? Okay, everyone ever brought a one-year-old to New York City, like downtown Manhattan? Okay, yeah, you are smart people. I'm, I'm, I'm not even thinking, okay? So we brought our 14-month-old downtown Manhattan. It was meltdown central, right? It starts in like this sticky, hot bus going through a tunnel. He's losing his mind. And then we come out of the tunnel, and it's just like people everywhere. It was the worst. We just stayed in Jersey the rest of the weekend. It was just so bad. Uh, but while we were in New York City, I'm, I'm a terrible tourist. Like my wife wants to go and see the sights, see everything. And I, okay, this is going to sound really lame, but I actually prefer staying home and reading about the places that we could go visit. Like, we went to Venice, no joke, like someone like, paid for us to go to Venice a couple years ago, so we went to Venice, it was unreal. And my favorite part was getting back to the hotel, sitting in the lobby, catching the crappy Wi-Fi, and reading about Venice. It's just, it's just how I roll. I just, I love facts more than actually being there, which is like, and my wife's the exact opposite, and that's why I think God has a sense of humor and put us together. But so, I'm like, you know, just sitting there in Jersey, the happiest guy, I'm like, I don't need to see Manhattan, I just want to read about it. And so, we had visited, uh, you know, Ground Zero, and so I'm reading about it and discovering fascinating things about, you know, all the, the things that happened there. And it was, it was quite a sobering uh, thing to be there and to be reading about it. And one of the articles that I read while I was, you know, exploring all the things that had to do with 9-11 was an article titled, 11 Famous People Who Escaped Death on 9-11. And it was basically just telling the story of 11 people who were famous who could have been either in the building or on a flight but didn't. They said Michael Jackson apparently had done a concert the night before and had a meeting at World Trade that morning, but he actually slept in. And so he didn't make it into the towers, and so his life was spared. Uh, another person, Mark Wahlberg. Anyone know, or old school, Marky Mark and the Funky Budge? Yeah? 
Yeah, okay, that's two points already for old school references, and we're not even keeping track on that one. Okay, so, so Mark Wahlberg actually had a ticket on one of the flights that was going to hit, that actually hit the building, and at the last minute, him and his friends decided to take a private jet and come to Toronto. And so he actually said in an interview, he said, there have been dozens and dozens, I think he said about 50 times, where he's had nightmares of what would have happened if he had actually gotten on that plane. And there was just story after story. There was a person who was going to the office. She was on time, and she saw Gwyneth Paltrow in an SUV. And so she just stopped and started chatting with Gwyneth. And then she, she was rushing back to work. She was late, but she was like, I couldn't wait to tell my, my colleagues what just happened. And by the time I got there, the planes had already hit. And so I just read story after story of people who it just seemed like it was the tiniest decision, you know, to get coffee or to go back home to get their headset or whatever it was. And somehow, because of that decision, their life had been spared. And there are other stories of people who maybe went into the office early, who normally wouldn't have been there, whose lives weren't. And I just kind of pause and I think about that. I'm like, I, I can't think of any time in my life where I've made a decision where a life hung in the balance. And maybe that's not your story either. But the one thing I know for sure is that there are many times in your life and many times in my life where we have made a decision for good or bad, where we've thought to ourselves, that changed the trajectory of my life. In fact, we're going to have this question up on the, the screen, which is simply this. Have you ever asked yourself this question or said this to yourself, I'm so glad I did, or I'm so glad I didn't? And then it's, then it's amazing to see the things that fit into that gap when you answer that question. It's things that you would have never thought in the moment were game changers, and yet they were. Maybe it was a relationship. You know, you decided, ah, you know, I don't want to be with him anymore. I don't want to be with her anymore. And, you know, years later, you, you got on Facebook. They invented Facebook, and you started discovering, like, wow. Look where he ended up. I'm so glad I didn't say yes to prom, right? Like, I'm so glad I didn't end up with him. Like, that would have been terrible. Or, wow, they have eight kids. I'm so glad I didn't go with them, right? Like, there's times where you just kind of look back and look, wow. There are times you've made career choices and you didn't even realize, you know, you, you were studying to be a teacher and you, you know, you did French just because you thought it might be kind of fun. And now all your friends are teachers and you're the only one who can land a gig because you have French and nobody else does. It's crazy. It's just like, it's, it's a small thing you never thought, and yet somehow you look back and like, man, I'm thankful. And there's other of us, we look back on our life and we're like, man, that little decision, that tiny little thing that I made a choice on, I've been paying for, for years. And if I could just go back and change it, I would have never known in the moment, but if I could go back and talk to me at 16, talk to me at 20, talk to me at 25, and just say, just don't do it. Don't say yes, or don't say no, or take that opportunity, or take that scholarship, or stay in school a little bit longer, we would just go back and do it. And the kind of the sobering thing when you look back on life and you see the different ways in which people and maybe even yourself have made decisions that have been game changers, it kind of is exciting and it's kind of paralyzing at the same time as you look towards the decisions you have to make now. Because you start to realize this may not be a big decision, but will I pay for it 10 years from now? Or will I reap the benefits 10 years from now? And so I don't know about you, but sometimes I'm making a decision, and I mean, I talk to young people all the time who are trying to figure out, should I go to school, should I, you know, go to this school, and what about this career, and what about that career, and they feel paralyzed, they're like, I don't know what to do, and sometimes they invite God into the conversation, it's like, God, what should I do, what does God want me to do, and it's just like this, this idea of, I'm not sure, do I stay in the relationship, do I get out of the relationship, do I get married, do I get divorced, do I have kids, do I have lots of kids, like, there's so many decisions, and I don't know about you, but I really struggle sometimes with making the right decision and trying to figure out, what does God want me to do? in the midst of this, because I feel like it may impact my life. And so we're constantly doing this equation, which is me plus blank equals what? Me plus med school, how will it turn out? And you try and do the math in your head. Me plus this relationship, how will it turn out? You try and do the math in your head. We're constantly doing equations, trying to figure out what the future may look like. So today I want to try and help you make sense of some of these equations. And so kids, if I can get your help, okay, we're going to look at a story of two guys, Joshua and Caleb. So every time I say Joshua and Caleb, you need to cheer, okay, because they're the heroes of the story. Okay, let's try it. Joshua and Caleb. 
Joshua. Yeah, Caleb. John. Ah, all right. Great. So Joshua in California. You can go for it. Anyway, so that's the story we're going to go to, and it's in the book of Numbers, okay? So if you have a Bible, I'd love you to get there. If you have a device, get there. Book of Numbers is really, really important. And just to get you up to speed, if you're kind of new to Bible reading or you kind of forgot what's the book of Numbers all about, because everyone forgets what the book of Numbers is all about, it's really just a book about counting, counting people before and after, and then we're going to kind of go in the middle and see what was the before and after for, okay? But let me give you a little bit of history on what's happening. So God's people, the Israelites, we're going to have some pictures as I tell the story, they were slaves in Egypt, okay? So for hundreds of years, they'd been slaves. Their grandparents had been slaves. It's like, hey, what's, what's freedom like? It's like, what's freedom, right? Like nobody even had a clue because for generations, they'd been slaves, okay? Then Moses comes. Maybe you've seen the Disney movie. Moses comes, talks to Pharaoh, who's in charge of all the slaves, and he's like, let my people go. Yes, good, good interaction. Okay, love it. And then uh, Pharaoh said, no. no, right? So then what happened? We had all the plagues, right? So there are all these signs they sent. And finally, Pharaoh said, get out of here. You know, take all your stuff, take your God, take your diseases with you. Like, take it all. Don't want it anymore. So all the Israelites packed up and they started going out. And as they're on their journey, Pharaoh changes his mind and he sends all his soldiers with all their horses and all their weapons after these people who've been slaves their whole life, probably just walking on foot with very little possessions. Okay, and then they, they kind of, they're, they're being chased and they kind of get cornered because there's this Red Sea and it's like, how are we going to get across this? We're totally done. And then what does God do? He parts the Red Sea. You guys are killing this. Okay, great. And then after he parts the Red Sea, um, uh, he kind of closes it in on all the Egyptians. They're free. Now they're wandering in the desert. And if you've ever been in the desert, there's not really any food there. So then God makes it rain, something called manna, which was food from the heavens. It was, it was amazing. It was a miracle. So people would go out and collect this stuff that was falling from the sky and they'd eat it. Okay. And then, and then that's kind of where we pick up the story. And God had promised them, hey, I'm bringing you to this amazing land full of milk and honey. It's going to be wonderful. And so that land was therefore called the promised land because God promised it and it was land. It's really simple, right? So you're like, that's what the promised land is. Okay, so promised land, they're on their way, and this is God kind of getting them ready for the promised land. So here we go, 13 verse 1, if you want to follow along, we're going to have it on the screen for those of you who don't. The Lord said to Moses, send some men to explore the land of Canaan, which I'm giving to the Israelites. From each ancestral tribe, send one of its leaders. He's like, so get 12 leaders together, and I want you to go explore the land, look very carefully, that I'm giving to you. He doesn't say, go and check it out and see if you want it. He's like, I already got this one in the bag. Just go and collect some intelligence because just because I'm giving it to you doesn't mean you don't have any responsibility, okay? God's sovereignty or his control and our strategy kind of work together. It's all time. Even Jesus taught about this. He's like, listen, just because God's going to do something doesn't mean you kind of sit on your butt and think, well, she's going to marry me. She's going to marry me. No, ask her out. If she says yes, it's God's plan, right? Like that's how it works. So sovereignty and strategy work together, okay? So they're like, we're going to find intelligence, not because he's not going to give it to us, but because we have to figure out now how do we take this gift that he's given us. Word? Got it? We're here. Okay, good. All right. So at the Lord's command, Moses sent them out from the desert of Paran. All of them were leaders of the Israelites. Okay. Explore and discover what's out there. So they went and explored, discovered some things. And we're going to zoom into a few parts. This is a really long passage. So I'm going to skip some stuff. But this is one of the really cool things. In fact, kids, I think you have a grape uh, craft in your packages. If you can find that right now, kids, great package, find that. Okay, we're going to need it in a second. When they reached the Valley of Eshkol, they cut off a branch bearing a single cluster of grapes. You guys got the grapes? Okay, show me like with your hand. Yeah, great, great, beautiful cluster of grapes right there. It's really colorful. love it. So that's about the size of, you know, grapes. If it's from Costco, it's like this, right? But check out how big this is, okay? Two of them 
carried it on a pole between them along with some pomegranates and figs, okay? Normally you picture two guys with a pole and like a hog hanging, but no, it was just this massive bunch of grapes. That's how fertile the land was, okay? It was way better than any desert they'd ever been in. At the end of the 40 days, they returned from exploring the land. They came back to Moses and Aaron and the whole Israelite community at Kadesh in the desert of Paran. When they reported to them and to the whole assembly and showed them the fruit of the land, they gave Moses this account. We went into the land to which you send us, and it does flow with milk and honey. That's just a way of saying it's incredibly fertile, okay? Milk and honey are flowing. It's a really great place. Excellent. Here is its fruit. And then they showed this massive amount of grapes to which they're like, wow, do you know how much wine we could make out of that? Like, it was just crazy, right? So, but... The people who live there are powerful, and the cities are fortified, which they were. In fact, historians have actually found the remnants of these cities, and they say the walls are about 20 to 30 feet high and 15 feet wide, okay? And you've been slaves in Egypt for hundreds of years. How are you going to conquer that, okay? And they keep going. Um, uh, oh, here we go. We even saw descendants of Anak there. The Amalekites in the Negev, the Hittites, the Jebusites, the Amorites live in the hill country, and the Canaanites live near the sea and along the Jordan. They're like, if that's the promised land, why are there people everywhere? Like, it's all taken already. There's no space for us, okay? So they kind of like, they're like, yeah, yeah, it's a really nice place, but someone already got to it. And then Caleb. Yeah. All right, Caleb. Silence the people. He's like, shh, guys, 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 hang on, hang on, okay? Love this, love this, love this. Before Moses and said, we should go up, take possession of the land, for we can certainly do it. To which they're thinking, Caleb, you are crazy. And so then they're like, whoa, and they kind of, you know, quiet Caleb, and they come back with even more. Oh, oh, yo, this is so good. But the men who had gone up with them said, we can't attack those people. And now they're like, no, no, we really can't. We really can't. And then they kind of exaggerate a little bit. They're stronger than we are. And they spread among the Israelites a bad report about the land they had explored. So now they're like, no, no, it's, it's actually really terrible. It's not good at all. They said the land we explored devours those living in it, okay? There are places in the world where the land devours you, okay? There are places so far north that if you go there as a human being, you're getting devoured. Everything's frozen. You can't eat. You can't drink. It will devour you. There are places so hot and so dry, you won't find a drop of water. It will devour you. And so they're like, listen, the land is so bad. I mean, we would just fall apart trying to live off the land. It's like, I think your story's changing a bit. And then they're like, and, there, and the people we saw there are huge. They're of great size. We saw the Nephilim there, these huge people. Now, kids, let me ask you a question, okay? I need your help here. Why do your par- or what do your parents always tell you to do so that you'll be tall and big and tall? Eat. Eat your vegetables. Okay, now let me ask you a question. If the land is devouring people and there's no food, how are there giants there? It's like they're just in a corner. They're like, we don't want to go. It's like it, there's no food. It's, it's terrible there. And there's giants there. It's like, well, how do they get so giant? Your story's changing, guys. You're just scared. They want a certain outcome, and they're contradicting themselves. They're telling stories. In fact, as my wife would say, they are experts at convincing themselves of what they want. You know, I, I don't know about you, but I'm, I'm an expert at this. My wife tells me this all the time. We're, we're doing a reno right now. You know, I don't know if you've ever done renos in your house, but, like, there's, like, times where it's like, hey, what about, you know, we should do this. And it's like, no, no, we shouldn't do that. And so my wife came to me the other day. She's like, we should, like, we should paint this little wall chalkboard paint. You know, that'd be really cool. And, you know, kids, and we can write the schedule and all that. And I'm like, oh, babe, that's, that's so much work. And, you know, it's going to be like, like two coats, three coats. Last time I did something, it was like five coats. I mean, we're going to be there forever. And it's, I mean, it's probably poor quality. And you don't want those fumes, those toxic fumes in our home with our baby breathing those. Right? Like, I'm just, like, coming up with all this. And, like, five minutes later, I'm like, yo, we should remove that wall. It would be a lot easier if we just remove the wall. She'd be like, 
Isn't that a lot of work? I'm like, no, 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 no. I mean, you know, when you're out for dinner, I'll just, you know, cut some studs and get the shop back out, shop backs, pick out everything, right? And she's like, she'll just look at me. And I, this happens all the time in our marriage. And I'll be like, she'll be like, you are just such an expert at convincing yourself of what you want and convincing yourself of what you don't want. And I don't know about you, but like, aren't we all kind of like that? I mean, haven't we all said these phrases like, well, I know I shouldn't, but just this once. Or I know what the statistics say, and I know, I know, I know, but I think I'm going to marry him anyways. I know what the Bible says, but, I love that when people come to the pastor's office, and they're like, I know what the God of the universe has said, it's very clear, but, and I'm like, how's this going to go? But we're experts at this. We always are telling ourselves stories because we come up with an idea in our heads and then we get everyone around us to believe it. And we're like, no, 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 this is a great idea. And isn't it true? And we look up statistics. And of course, we only look at certain statistics, right? And we just, we want to believe what we want to believe because we've done the equation in our head and we're like, this is what the future looks like. And this is how I'm going to get there. And this is what I must do. And this is what they did. They're like, you know what? Us plus these people in the promised land or the promised land isn't going to work out. It's going to be a disaster. That's kind of the equation that they were playing with. And so that's why they left it this way. In fact, so Israel plus the fight for the promised land, that was the equation that they had in their mind. And then they really start, they actually start believing what they're saying. They get carried away. That night, all the members of the community raised their voices and wept aloud. They start crying. All the Israelites grumbled against Moses and Aaron and the whole assembly said to them, if only we had died in Egypt or in the wilderness. And then, I love this. Why is the Lord bringing us to this land only to let us fall by the sword? I just kind of imagine God up in heaven like, um, excuse, excuse me, what? I, I'm trying to give you this land. Why, why are you blaming me? Like, nothing's even happened yet, but you've created this fake future and now you're blaming me for it? But that's not what I said was going to happen. I said, I was going to give you this land. Why don't you believe me? Then they, they just keep going. Our wives and children will be taken as plunder. Wouldn't it be better for us to go back to Egypt? You mean where you were slaves? Yeah, we want to go back there. It's better than what the future holds. And they said to each other, we should choose a leader and go back to Egypt. Like, what? And they're missing something. I'm going to explain that in a minute. But then, thankfully, thankfully, Joshua, son of Nun, and Caleb, son of Jeff. Yeah, I, I struggle with that name too. Who were among those who had explored the land, tore their clothes. That's just a way of saying, oh gosh, like this is bad. Like it's just desperate, okay? They tore their clothes and said to the entire Israelite assembly, the land we passed through and explored is exceedingly good. Fact, if the Lord is pleased with us, he will lead us into that land, a land flowing with milk and honey, and will give it to us. Only don't rebel against the Lord. And don't be afraid of the people of the land. I love this. I love how different it is because we will devour them. I wonder if they were like, you know, doing the haka as it is. We're going to devour, right? Like it just gets all intense. We're going to devour them. Their protection is gone, but the Lord is with us. Don't be afraid of them. To which they're like, of course we're afraid of them. There's more of them than us. They're everywhere. They have massive walls. But you see, Caleb and Joshua had a different equation. They weren't working with the equation that all the other Israelite leaders and the Israelite people were working on because they thought they'd get devoured. This is the equation that they had. It's simply this. Israel plus God against the promised land equals success. You see, by adding God into the equation, all of a sudden their future is totally different. That all of a sudden the equation that you've been making up in your head, okay, this plus this, and how does it work out? All of a sudden when you add the factor of God into the equation, it changes everything. But the people didn't believe it because they were so convinced. They had everyone else around them convinced. This is what they did. 
the whole assembly talked about stoning them. Caleb and Joshua make this epic speech. We are going to devour them. God is with us. Who can be against? Like They're just doing it. And then these guys are like, we're just going to kill you. And then we're going to find a leader and we're going to go back into slavery. That seems like a better plan. Like, how does that make any sense? And yet so often, so often, so often, we do stuff like this because we've convinced ourselves that this is how it's going to go. Then the glory of the Lord appeared at the tent of meeting to all the Israelites. The Lord said to Moses, how long will these people treat me with contempt? Because this wasn't the first time they doubted him. How long will they refuse to believe in me in spite of all the signs that I have performed among them? Got them out of slavery, fed them when they were hungry, got them across the Red Sea. And so God says, you know, why don't I just let them all die right now? And then Moses is like, no, 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 God, 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 he pleads. And God is so cool that he'll actually listen to our prayers. And he says, okay, okay. And so he doesn't, doesn't kill them all. He just, you know, the, the leaders who went, who didn't believe, they end up with a plague and they pass away. And then he says to the rest of the people, he's like, listen, if you're over 20 years old, you know, you have a history of knowing everything I've done and you still doubt it. He's like, you're not going to the promised land anymore. And that's not me punishing you. That's not, you know, God saying, well, if you don't want it, you can't. It's like, really, it's like, it's kind of what you, that's your equation. That's the equation that you played out in your head and you can have that equation if you really want it. You can die in the desert. Your kids are going to have to follow you for the next 40 years until you're all gone. They'll get to go to the promised land because they're too young to be making a decision and leaving you out of the equation. But there's something about the fact that they actually left God out of the equation and God said, hey, even though I'm in control, even though I have a plan, I will honor that. And I will let you leave me out of the equation. And they missed out on the promised land, that every single one of them, except for Caleb and Joshua, would miss out. And the, but because my servant Caleb has a different spirit, I love that, and follows me wholeheartedly, I'll bring him into the land he went to, and his descendants will inherit it. Not one of you will enter the land I swore to, with uplifted hand to make your home, except Caleb, son of Jephunneh, and Joshua, son of Nun. They had a different spirit. They actually believe that when you put God in the equation, things change. And the future that you were trying to add up can be totally different when you include him in the story. The people simply forgot the God factor. You see, the equations that Caleb and Joshua, this is hard now, <laughs> that Caleb, the, our two boys, <laughs> like, I'm never going to get through this. The two guys, our two homies, uh, did was they simply said, listen, we look back on our past, we were slaves, plus the Egyptians, we would have never been free. Add God to that equation, we're now free. We were on the run and we were trapped and we had this massive body of water, we had no way to get across it. That equal disaster, add God into it, we got through it. We were in the middle of a desert, the equation didn't make sense because we should have been starving and dying and yet God was feeding us every single day. They knew what happened when God put them, but they put God in the equation and they allowed him to work and trusted in him. And so they simply just added him into the next equation of the future that they did not know. You know what the difference between the two groups was? One remembered and one forgot. One remembered and one forgot. It is so, it is so, it is so incredibly important as followers of Jesus, no matter how old we are, to remember and take notice of the things that God is doing in our life. Because as we look to the future, it will be the things that he has done in the past, in our lives, and in the history of the church that will give us the faith to add him into the equation and trust him for things that we can't add up on our own. So here's the simple thing I want you to remember. Never leave God out of the equation. Never leave God out of the equation. Never leave God out of the equation. There's lots of ways that you can... Uh, 
you know, actions that you can do to help yourself remember that. I'll, you know, three that I always say is number one is attend church regularly. You're going to hear stories. You're going to hear stories of things happening now and things that have happened through the scriptures that God has done that will grow your faith every single week. So make that a priority. Secondly, engage with people who love Jesus and who can call you out on your contradicting stories when you're trying to convince yourself of something that they know is not what God has for you, that they can call you out when they don't see that, that, that God is in the equation. Join a home group. Be in a relationship with people who love Jesus as well. There is something so great about having someone look you in the eye and say, you're not trusting God in this situation. You are saying yes, and you're making your decision out of fear and not out of faith. It is so, so, so crucial to get out of rows and into circles. And I love Upper Room and their, their home groups are just such a great piece of their, the fabric of this community. Number three, and this is just a personal one, write down your prayers. Write down your prayers because I promise you God is answering more prayers than you realize because you forget you prayed them once you're healed. Last week, I was just really stressed out, had a lot of things going on, and I was just, I was just trying to, you know, even just sit down and read my Bible, and I couldn't even engage because I just had so many things going on. So I'm like, let me just write out all the things stressing me out. I had eight things that were just on my plate that were just, I was just, I couldn't focus because of them. So I just said, God, here are the eight things, and I'm just trusting you with them. The next morning, I showed up, and I kind of opened up my journal, and I was like, oh, four of those things don't even exist anymore. In 24 hours, God had already taken care of them, and I hadn't even noticed. And so then now I can sit down and actually trust him with those other four things. When we see God move in history of our lives and the lives of others, we are more likely to add him into the equation for the future. So let me leave you with this. As the band comes up and they're going to lead us in a song, they're going to play quietly for a minute before they actually lead the song and invite you to stand. And I just want you to ask this one simple question. We're going to have it on the screen. God, where have I or where am I leaving you out of the equation? I don't know where it is in your life. But I have a feeling in your life and in my life, there are places that, and things that we are planning on in the future that we've been calculating, saving up, making plans for that future equation, and we've left God out. So I want to give us a minute or two of silence before we start. The band's just going to play quietly for you to be still and to ask God that question and to listen for his answer. Let me just pray. Father, would you open our eyes to see and our ears to hear what you are saying to us now? In Jesus' name, amen. I just want to bless you this week with those words ringing in your ears. That's why we sing, so we remember that God is able. I just want to bless you with that, that you would receive that, that the things that you are facing in life, the situations that you are going into, the questions that are unanswered, the problems that don't seem to have a resolution, that you'd say, okay, God, I'm not going to leave you out of this because you are able. You're not just with me, you're for me. You're not just beside me, you're ahead of me. You're not just ahead of me, you're behind me. You are with me. Would you receive that this morning?